and give thee thanks for be that will. Amen. Uh, tonight I want to I want to talk about the 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 six conditions of of man in in life. You know, holistically thinking of us, there are six conditions that we um, find ourselves in, and the different states. You can even call them the six states of man. That's how I kind of kind of titled it. The six states of man. So the first state, just to give you kind of an idea where I'm going, uh, the first state is a natural state. It's, it's, it's when you're born, right? And uh, this state is really critical um, because I want to talk about sin and life with this. No one's born a sinner. We know that. But have you ever ran into a family who believed that an infant is born a sinner? Yeah, that's true. You did. That's right. Yeah, that is correct. Um, have you ever been in the presence or spoken to a family whose infant died before it was baptized? That's a terrible place to be, right? Uh, and how do you convince them? I mean, that's such a, a difficult uh, journey to convince the family at that moment. It's, that's not even a moment. In fact, we talked about some of that court, in fact, right? Um, in fact, you did a funeral for... And what a, what, a de- what a devastating place to be because number one, is not probably the right, it's not the time to have that Bible study to convince them to change their mind, although it is the, the time, right? There's no better time than now, but it is way difficult um, to help that family understand that natural state that a child is born uh, sinless. So I want to look at Romans 5, and I want to give you just, um, a, just a few scriptures on this, and then we'll go to the next state. Uh, Romans 5, verse 12 through 14, to look at the text and realize that sometimes we read the Bible um, when you're indoctrinated, even though it states it, you don't see it, right? We, I have found um, when I'm studying with different, especially religious groups or people that are really hard, fast in a doctrine, we have to read the same verse about five or seven times before they actually see the verse because they're so used to reading it and interpreting it as they read it that they're not listening to what the words are saying. They don't, they just, right? Okay, let's read Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Why does death spread to all men? Because it's in the text, right? Because all sin. However, even though it says that, there's still this people still get stuck in the fact that because all sin doesn't change the fact that sin entered into the world through that man, through Adam and through Eve, even though it simply states that all have sinned, right? Let's keep going. Verse 13. For until the law, sin was uh, in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. So if sin was in the world, um, the idea in that mind is, see, sin's always been here, and that baby's born a sinner, right? Of course, you know Psalm 51, but we're not looking at Psalm 51 tonight. And then verse 14, Nevertheless, death spread or reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come. And so the text, the overarching theme of this text is to show the greatness of Jesus for all of humanity. Right? The, the text is not teaching a doctrine of being born in sin necessarily or out of sin. It's the overarching theme of the greatness of Jesus to save all of humanity. Okay? But they take the text and make it emphasize 
the fact that, no, you see, because sin was in the world, it is then injected upon anyone who's born uh, in this world. Now, there are a lot of scriptures we can go to. I'm not here to try to convince you tonight of something that you already know, but I just want to bring up how they look at the text and see the text so differently in this natural state, meaning this, bo- this baby is born a sinner. It's a tough place to be. And, and, I, and I'll tell you, if you're ever going to study with someone about that, you know, you, know, you can call the office and, and we'll give you a whole bunch of scriptures to look at and uh, uh, to, to take with you because you're going to need them to show them. You've got to read it over and over again. You've got to read this text that we just read about seven times for them to really get it, right? Um, Romans 3, uh, very simple text. Again, um, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And then you, you read the other scriptures that go with that, right? There are a bunch of other scriptures that we'd read about, Rome, about a child not being born of sin or we not inheriting the sins of others. And we'll look at Ezekiel in just a moment. But Mark 10 is a great scripture to go to because um, when you go to Mark 10 and you listen to Jesus' teaching, also Matthew, so Matthew um, 16 and Matthew 18 also talk about the same exact uh, concept or idea. But I wanted to grab... Mark chapter 10 for tonight, verse 13 through uh, 15. Now, I want you to think about a baby who's a sinner in, a, in the natural state, right? A baby who's a sinner is now the object of, of heaven. A baby who's a sinner is, um, is the, the um, I guess you would call it the over, if you think about heaven and what all is in heaven and what heaven's all about, and you'll find that it's, it's all about sin if a baby is born a sinner. Right? So when you read Mark, listen to what Jesus says to us in chapter 10, uh, beginning at verse 13. And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. And by the way, this is one of those scriptures, you know, see, he had to touch them and get their sins washed away. He's like, no, keep reading. Um, but when, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So how does a baby who's a sinner get to heaven? Right? Now you, you know, because the same people who believe this will tell you, well, you know, you, you, you have to do certain things to get your sins removed. How does a baby do that? And Jesus said, this is the standard. This is, the, this is it. This is, these children are the, are the mark, if you will, of heaven. Verse 15, truly I say to you, whoever does not uh, receive the kingdom of God like a child should not enter it at all. And so, be like a child. Well, is Jesus saying, be like a sinner? If the child is a sinner. I know these aren't even infants, but you, you get the point. And uh, so this is pretty, pretty critical uh, as you start just kind of getting the, your job is to cast doubt, right? And then you can teach. You got to cast a little bit of doubt and then you can begin to teach them. Mar- uh, Ezekiel uh, 28. We'll look at Ezekiel 28 and then we'll finish this state unless there are questions uh, regarding this one. I, I, I just know we already know the answer here, but this is the natural state. A child is born, is born sinless, is beautiful. Um, one of the things that I also uh, like to do is uh, just grab a baby and go show me one flaw. You know, it's usually their baby, <laughs> you know, and they can't find one, <laughs> which is kind of neat. Okay, um, Ezekiel 28 and verse, uh, verse 15. Now, this is speaking of the king of, king of Tyre, right, who was a man. And in verse 15, he says, you are blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. So until, right? Until unrighteousness was found in you. So you were blameless until. It sounds like Romans 9. Before the babies knew right from wrong, 
or good from evil, uh, Jacob and Esau, they were blameless. It's a time when a child is blameless. So that child has to grow and reach the next state. And that next state is the day that a child that grows up to become a young person, whatever the age is, um, we call it the age of accountability, right? When they are at this point accountable to God for, uh, for their actions or for their sins. It is the reason that God made the law. God made a law uh, because of sin, right? Um, 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 1. The, the idea of, of God making a law is because there has to be a, a way in which we are judged and also justified, right? It is by the law of God and, and not from man. So uh, that's a, a beautiful and important concept in understanding that it is the law of God and not the law of man. So your opinion will not condemn me, right? Isn't that important? And that's beautiful. You know, also, if a person has more money than another person, whatever the things we, we use to justify one as being righteous and another not so much, those things will never condemn us, right? So the first state is the natural state, which is purity. The second state is that age of accountability. When we get to that point in life, there's something that we have to do to have our sins removed. And we know that's baptism. And we'll talk about that, you know, obviously in a moment. But 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or, or mothers or murderers and immoral men and homosexuals. What is he, what is he talking about? People that are practicing sin, right? You know, obviously Christians aren't, we're not supposed to be the people doing this kind of, no, obviously some do. But God is saying, so we're not the people who practice this. We don't practice sin, do we? We're not supposed to. And it doesn't mean we don't sin, but we're not practicing sin, right? So what happens when a child grows up, um, having learned and understood through through the mind of God. What is the age of accountability? Anyone know? I don't know, right? So whenever God says, now you're accountable, um, right? That age of accountability where they understand and know right from wrong, etc. At this point, um, they have to do something about their relationship with the Lord that has been severed um, from, from God. That relationship is severed. And, and the answer to that is those five steps, right? What are the five steps, right? Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Yes, go ahead, Steve. Yep, okay, the, the, the five steps. But before we get to the, the, the five steps, um, there's only three things in the world. I love this umbrella of sin, right? The, um, I don't, excuse me, I love how simple it is. That's what I mean to say. Um, the umbrella of sin, there's only three things you can, everything in life falls under those three things. And, and when it comes to God, the umbrella of God is one. The umbrella of God is, is love, and the umbrella of sin or Satan is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, right? Pride of life, those, those three things, right? That's it. Everything fits into those three categories. It's so simple that it's confusing, right? We, we so, so confuse life. And you can step back and say, okay, it, when I'm looking at this situation, maybe it's my temptation, I know it falls under one of three categories. I'm, I'm either being tempted from my own pride, from my, my lustful, you know, mindset, or uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust, 
Filled out, see the eyes. That's it. There's nothing else. Right? And then under Jesus, there's, there's love. I'm compelled to do things by love. I love God so much. It's like when you, you love your spouses. And so we live the way we live. We live faithfully. We stay committed to our covenant. We, you know, we do those things that are right, the commandments of God. So we love God so much that overarching theme that motivates us or compels us is, is love. Right? That, that's how we make that next step. We, you know, love, look, love trumps selfishness, and it, it, it trumps, um, you know, it trumps lust, it, it trumps pride. I mean, if you, you know, because you say, for a moment, you step away and say, I, I just want to honor God, you know, and I, and how could I, how, remember what Joseph said when, when his, we just studied this with, with Stephen, um, that Potiphar's wife came to him, and he said, how can I sin against God, right? I, I, no, I, I honor God, right? Of course, Pharaoh, I mean, uh, Potiphar uh, was the second. But how could I sin against God and do such a thing? And so that becomes the mindset of the Christian where we think about God. And, we, and when it comes to our own lust, we learn to control our lust by saying, hey, I, I cannot do this against God. I, I love God that much. And I know that's a struggle. But that's where our mind has to be all the time, right? It has to be there. I mean, how many times have you been in that position where... You have to make that decision. You know, I'm going my way or God's way. That's really only it, isn't it? There's only two ways, right? And, and Jesus tells us that, right? And, and so there's a broad way and the narrow way. There's only two ways. It's not, this, this, this isn't confusing, right? But, it, you know, we throw those little, um, uh, what is it, caveats, you know, in the middle. We find those, that way to, you know, add something in there. No, there's only two ways, right? That, that's it. And Jesus says, I am thee way and that same way is the narrow way right where jesus is not the way is the broad way there are only two ways right so it, it's it's simple in, in this state we we have to learn to conform to jesus or not that, that's it that's see that's the age of accountability that's choice we all have a free choice we get to that point where we can make a decision that is intellectual and spiritual and acceptable to God or contrary to the will of God. We're able to do that at whatever that age might be. Uh, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. So 1 John 5, uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 15 through 17, all this in the world, the lust of the flesh, uh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes is not from the Father, but it's from, it's from man or from the world, and it's going to is going to do what? What does it say? Pass away. Right? So is it really worth your time to put all that energy and effort into something that's got, it's just going to pass away anyway? Right? Versus something that's permanent and, and powerful. So Luke 16 and verse, I want to look at verse 19 and verse 20. And there was a, rich, a certain rich man who he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, godly living in splendor every day. And a certain poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores. So here's that, here's that age of accountability. We, we have two totally different opposite situations in life. It's just called life. It doesn't, the, the rich man doesn't, it's not necessarily about the rich and the poor. It's, it's life, right? They're, they're both able to make a, a decision, right? We know the, the poor man has a decision that he wants to make and desires to make. And the rich man has a decision that he needs to make and, and doesn't make 
or makes in a, in a very bad way. But this, that's what the age of accountability is, is when you're able to look at a situation and make a good, honest assessment and make a good, honest choice or decision, but know you're accountable for that, right? You're accountable for that. And was he accountable for that? We're going to come back and look at him later because this text has a lot, uh, a lot in it. Of course, of course, he was accountable. So those five states, um, hearing the word of God, and then being able to make a decision about what you've heard, right? I mean, I, when I first heard the Word of God, I wasn't ready to receive it. How about you? You know, I mean, you, you know, I'll tell you why. You know why I didn't want to read the Bible? I figured it didn't have much good to say about me. So, I, and I also knew this about me. Once I read it, I'm going to be in a position to change. I'm going to have to change. And so I wasn't ready for change. Wasn't that a great observation? You know, God, I just wasn't ready. I just needed more time. Doesn't work that way, does it? Yes. You know, um, that's a discussion we preachers have together. And we start, talk, we start talking about the pearl in the field. How big was your pearl? Because <laughs> right? if you never thought you were lost, it's not a very big pearl. But when you, when you know you're lost, you understand, yeah, he bought that field. Oh, yeah, I'd have bought two of those. You know, because you realize that you're right. I mean, what an, um, it's, remember going on missions, and missions with preachers who grew up, always saved, right? <laughs> right? And those who were like, who grew up always lost and finally realized how bad it was and they needed to come to Jesus um, at, a, at a different passion, right? With, and a different, under, a different level of understanding. Not a, not a bad, not better, not, but just a different level of understanding when it came to people that were really lost and had done some really bad things. We're like, oh, okay. Versus the one who grew up always saved, like, oh, you know, it was a huge difference. I'm like, well, wait a minute. No, sin is sin, but this is bad, but so was your state. Because you knew better, <laughs> you know. So then we kind of rib each other. So not, you know, not in a good, not in a, a, a fun way in a sense. But um, you're right about that. I mean, that's a discussion that happens so often, and um, I appreciate you bringing it up. So back to the age of accountability. Um, a lot of times people get baptized, and they, and they really weren't ready. They didn't understand. I mean, in 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 you know, in going to worship all their lives as well as those who are outside and come and they and they come into my office i'll give you a good a good thing what i did with my children for, for that reason because i i you know um denied my children baptism uh the first couple times um because they could regurgitate oh dad i just need to hear the gospel and believe it and repent and confess and be baptized and then and i was like yeah exactly but that never touched up here you could regurgitate it like you're taking a test this isn't a this is not a test 
Um, and then I made them tell me why. What does that mean? And they, and they really, they didn't, they couldn't really articulate it from a personal level. You know, they could tell me where the book says, but they couldn't articulate it. They could read the scriptures to me, but they couldn't articulate it. It didn't touch them, right? And so I refused them. And they came back again, and I, I refused them. And then, uh, but yeah, the last time they came, they, understood, they had a clear understanding. And what I did was I wrote, we wrote what they said down. We typed it up, read it, looked at it, and then I put it on the back of their baptistry certificate. So that way, baptismal certificate. So that way, if they ever questioned it, I'll have them reread that. This is what you explained to me. Is this where you were? If this is not where you were, you regurgitated it, it wasn't true, but at least they'll know exactly where they were. And speaking of this state right here, um, I remember my daughter saying, I'm about, I'm a, I think I'm near the age of accountability. I don't know what that age is, Dad, but I have a better understanding of, of life and sin. And um, I know that something's about to happen. And I said, well, what is that? She says, I'm about to be separated from God. And I can't, I can't stand the thought. Like, baptized. No, no, anyway, my point was that she understood it from a, you know, from a heart position more than just an intellectual position. And so that was critical to me. Uh, thanks for bringing that up, Steve. I appreciate that. So you, you hear the word, and you have to then at that point in time decide, well, what are you going to do with that? I mean, what did you do with it when you heard the word for the very first time? What did you do with it? What did it do to you? Right? Does anyone have an answer for that? The very first time I heard the word, I'll tell you the very first time I heard the word of God. My mom, my brother, and I were sitting down. I think I was eight years old, and we started reading. And, um, and then within five minutes, my mom was like, okay, we're done. And we, we, we abruptly closed the book, and I couldn't figure out why. Well, I know why. <laughs> I don't even remember the scripture we read, but I know that she was had a little shock on her face. She's like, oh, we're done. I'm like, we, there was still more to that, you know? And I'm like, no. And I'm like, okay. So then in our, in our minds, we were finished reading the Bible, so we didn't pick it up again. Um, but, but I don't remember what we read, so that part wasn't uh, shocking to me. It was more so my mom's reaction to what we read, but when I first heard the Word of God, I was really only, I was like 19 years old. You know, so when you start talking about Noah's Ark and all the Bible, I didn't know any of those Bible accounts, right? In fact, I'll be honest with you, when I first turned, uh, I was, Ben had asked me, he says, where, do you, where would you like to start? And I was like, I don't even know anything about the book. What do you mean where I want? Okay, fine. I just opened it up, and it opened up to the book of Job. And I said, you know what? I'm, my mindset, I'm kind of an entrepreneur in my mind. I think uh, the book, this job book is pretty good. I, I knew a lot was in the Bible, and why not learn more about, you know, business and the business world? And, <laughs> and I was being sincere at that time, and it was, a, it was a good laugh. But true, I had no idea what the Bible was about. Yes. Oh, wow, right. <laughs> Might have messed everything up for me, though, right? Um, so, yeah, I had no clue. Didn't know where to, you know, you ever been there? You, see, a lot of you, you grew up going to worship. You, you know, you, you learned the book. You sang the song, the book to the Bible. I didn't even know where Genesis was. You know, I didn't even know there was a book of Genesis. Yes. Sure. Right. 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 <laughs> Let's just say we held her down a little bit longer than normal. No, just kidding. But yeah, you're right. You didn't want to. You were. Mm-hmm. 
Right. You're right. It is. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, when we think of, like, I think some of our terminology, you know, like we think of church, you know, this is just a building. We, are the, we know that, right? We're the church. But we use that term like the world uses it, and it just, it takes so much away um, from it. When you go to the, you know, you're in, if you're looking at the, the you know, you're, I, I guess, in Italy or Spain or wherever, and you see those huge church buildings, and the, the, the money they put into those buildings is absolutely just incredible. I mean, all the castles are big, right, over there, obviously. But still, it's like, you can tell where their, where, where their God was, if that makes any sense, right? Um, and, and so, yeah, you, you, you try to explain to a person, well, that's just a building. No, that's the church. You know, it's like, so we have a lot of, of opportunities for the world if they're, if they're willing to listen. It's just a matter of, of being able to kind of process things uh, like the Ethiopian eunuch and um, Philip, you know, take them where they are, start where they are, wherever that is. And so, so here's that hearing state where you hear the word of God and you have to decide what you're going to do with it. What are you going to do with what you just heard? So Jesus says, you know, some hear it and, and do what? Some respond quickly. It's like scattering the seed and next thing you know, they just fall right away. So what do you, what do, you do with it when you hear it? Well, you have to make a, a decision. You either believe it or you don't, right? Or from a human perspective, you're in the middle, right? Eh, not really sure, right? Either believe it or you don't. I didn't know enough about religion to not believe it. I just knew, okay, well, that's the Bible. It's from God and Okay, but what, what else? What, is it, what else is it, it? What else? You have to hear it and believe it. And then when you believe it, you got another challenge, right? In this state, you have to do something about your belief, right? You hear it and you believe it. Now, what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to live the way you're supposed to live or are you going to reject it and keep living the way you're living? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's no question about it. It's just, it's, it's natural, isn't it? It's a very natural position to be in, even, with, even spiritually speaking. We, we don't want to hear that we're lost or, you know. So when you're talking to people, and do they really want to know they're lost? No, they don't want to know that. That's why I always start off with, are you, um, are you, would you consider yourself saved or lost? Every Bible study. And then they say, one or the other, and usually it's always, almost always, 99% of the time it's saved. Oh, great. Okay, wonderful. And then I'll ask them questions about their experience and things of that sort. But no one wants to think about being lost. So you hear the word of God and you believe it. Now you're in one, you're in one state or the other at this point. Either you are either saved or you are lost. And you've got to do something about this. So this is where the God, where repentance comes in, right? Godly sorrow, you know? Like, wait. You mean I've lived all my life against God? I mean, I remember my, my greatest teaching from someone else to me was God changes with the times. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, God knows, you know, God knew you'd go through all this. And so, he, you know, he changes over time so that we can make sure we have a relationship with God and then God fits in our lives. Like, oh, that's great. <laughs> it was wonderful. It's the greatest thing I've heard. Oh, so we're okay. Yeah, we're fine. Oh. Man, that's, man, that's wonderful. You know, so I don't have to change, do I? Well, that's a worldly concept. No, you don't have to change. God has to change. But that's not what the Bible says. We have to change. We have to have godly sorrow in our hearts, right? 
we have to say, I, I don't want to live that way any, any longer. You know, I don't want to stop robbing banks because the police are on to me. I want to stop robbing banks because it's the wrong thing to do, right? Not that I robbed banks. I wasn't smart enough to get away with it. But anyway, um, you know, it's, I want to stop because it's the wrong thing to do, right? And then that next step is a great, con- you know, the confession. What confession? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? Well, see, because you heard it, and, and you, you believe that he's the Son of God, and you, you, you have godly sorrow, but now you've got to conf- confess it, right? And you, you believe it. And here's what's interesting. You, can't, you cannot reverse the order of these. You can't be saved and then be baptized. You can't be saved and then repent, right? You're either lost, and so you hear, believe, repent, and confess, or you did it out of order. It can't not be done out of order. It doesn't work out of order. Think about it. Logically, it doesn't work out of order. Scripturally, it doesn't work out of order. You cannot be saved and then hear the word of God. It's an impossibility, right? You, you cannot be saved and believe, then believe the word of God. What were you saved from, right? You, you cannot be already saved and then repent. Repent of what? You're already doing the right things. You're already in a great relationship with God. What are you going to do now? Reverse that? You, you cannot be saved first. You, you cannot be saved and then confess Jesus who saved you. But did you just get to know him? But he already, it, it doesn't work, right? And so it's not, you cannot flip this or do it in reverse order. Finally, realizing that you're completely lost, there's that state of obedience and submission where you submit to God and you're immersed in water for the remission of your sins and your sins are washed away. If you're already saved, you don't need to get baptized, <laughs> Your sins are already washed away. You don't have any sin. You see, you can't flip it. You can't reverse it. I know that we get the, um, someone said, you folks believe in the five steps to heaven. And that's what the Bible says. It, it's not only logical, it's scriptural. And there's no other way. There is no other way, right? And so uh, what, a, what a great place to be at that point where you surrender to God and want the baptism to, to get into that, that next state of, of man and that is in a relationship with the Lord now you're in a relationship why because the old man who was spiritually separated from God died what do you do with dead things you bury them you've been buried and you've been now resurrected and now you're new now you're recognized by God now you're you have the gift you can't you can't be saved without the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's an impossibility, right? The Holy Spirit sanctifies or separates us, right? Without the Holy Spirit, you can't be saved. You can't have the Holy Spirit before you're baptized. Jesus says it in John 14. It's an impossibility. You can, the world cannot have the Spirit of God. Yes? Well, so godly sorrow is the mind, the transformation of the mind. I don't want to live this way any longer. Now, the rest of it is the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm saying if, you, if, you've already, if you're already saved, <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, so thanks for that question. I mean, muddy the water there. Um, so the, you can't, we can't flip it. Without the Holy Spirit, no one's saved. You cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit. You can't have the Holy Spirit without being baptized because the Holy Spirit is what at baptism? A gift. God says, be baptized 
uh, for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How can you already have the Holy Spirit before you've been baptized? You can't. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't be saved. I mean, the Bible is really clear. There's no other way, right? And Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So that's why he emphasizes Mark 16 and Matthew 28 to baptize, you know, the whole world, all creation, and the whole world uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He tells you why, right? He who believeth and is baptized will be saved. He that believeth not will not get baptized, obviously, right? Why would you get baptized if you didn't believe? I mean, you know, unless it was an improper belief, and then the baptism does you no good anyway. Okay. But now, let's go to Galatians 5 in this state of being, of being saved now, right? Now you're in a relationship with God. So now Tracy becomes a part of now all the transforming, right? So maybe you can go to 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11, um, um, add to your faith, knowledge, uh, you know, perseverance, self-control, godliness, brotherly kindness, Christian love, you know, all those things that God said, the seven things there, you've got to add them to your life. So you're continually changing and striving to live like God, the fruits of the Spirit versus the deeds of the flesh. You're living for God. It doesn't mean you're going to do it perfectly, um, but you're striving towards it, right? You're trying to do it right. Um, back to that uh, idea of a physician, you know, if he, if he doesn't do his very best and do all this, you exercise everything that he can um, to do his job, uh-oh, it doesn't work, <laughs> right? So we want him to do his absolute best. And so, uh, we come to Christians, becoming Christians, we have to do our absolute best, striving to please God and to serve God. Now, uh, Galatians 5, but in that state, can a Christian, so wait, first question is, once a Christian, always a Christian, is true. Once saved, always saved, is false. Because nowhere do you read in the Bible where a person, you know, has the Spirit and then doesn't have the Spirit, or, or um, is a Christian, is no longer a Christian. What we do read in the scriptures is that people will be judged as the world who are lost or Christians who are lost. Okay, so once a Christian, always a Christian. Once saved, always saved is not true. Right? That is a false doctrine. Um, it, for those who uh, refuse to live for Jesus, something that they live by, but uh, not biblical. Uh, Galatians 5 verse 3. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. So we know that they're trying to go back to the old law, and I, so we get that part. But the point is they're leaving the law of Christ, right, the law of liberty, perfect law of liberty, and trying to go back into a state of works, right? And you can't, you can't be saved that way. But the Scriptures repeatedly teach us that a person can fall out of the grace or out of a relationship with God. Let's read it all the way through the Bible from the Old to the New Testament. So in this state, we have a responsibility of obedience to God to remain in this state of, of we'll call it the faithful state, to stay in a relationship with God. You have to put forth your effort, right? You have to be faithful to God. And faithfulness means, um, it also means repentance, doesn't it? Right? It means repentance. It means, you, you know, you're going to have to, when you find yourself sinning, you're going to have to do what we were taught in, as kindergartners. You're going to have to say, I'm sorry to God. You have to repent and, and turn your life back to the Lord and, and strive to, uh, to do His will. So the next state doesn't have to participate 
in the lives of all, of all Christians, right? So you're a Christian and you're in the faithful state or you're a Christian and can Christians backslide? Right, right? So that's walking away from God, right? So you learn the truth, you understand the truth, and you're in this now this... Uh, let's go to Second Peter chapter 3. You're now in this state of backsliding or rebellion. You're standing against God or opposed to God. It's not a good place to be. Even God, you know, through the Scriptures, you know, how could a person, you know, who's learned the truth um, and walked away from it go back to it? Or how, could you, how could you, that's a how could you question from, uh, from the Scriptures. Second um, uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. You fall from God, right? And then it says, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in verse 18, we're to constantly grow, right? If you're, if you're not going, if you're not growing, you're stagnant, right? Um, but where does God want us? Hot or cold? wants us hot, right? He wants us on fire. He wants us to be, yeah, he wants us to be the light, not a dim light. I mean, it's still a light, I know. But he wants you to have a bright light that, uh, you know, he wants you to hide your light. You know, he wants you to just be different. And um, God expects that of us. Many, uh, I'm going to second, uh, let me see, Peter chapter 2. Many, there are many who have fallen Sadly, I mean, I'm talking preachers have fallen, elders have fallen, you know, members, I mean, deacons have fallen. People fall from, from Christ, right? And it's not where we're supposed to be. And we know that uh, Satan is behind it, isn't he? Satan wants all of us, he wants every one of you, all of us, to be destroyed. He wants every, he wants some horrific thing to happen, whatever it may be. Like, imagine you find out that, uh, which has happened many times, sadly, um, that an elder in the Lord's church has, has done something. So whatever it is, maybe he's embezzled money. I don't know. He's done something terrible. And then and you find out and the church divides and you know, splits. And Satan knows. If you get to the top, you know, get to the elders, get to the preacher, get to the deacons, get to the people in the front, you can, you can make a lot of people fall away. But also even some members, like, you know, like even a diatrophies, right? Third John, who is, who is just running the church. He's neither an elder or deacon, or whatever he is, I don't know, but he's uh, not, a, not a good person in the church, and he's running folks away, even, even those who believe what the apostles taught, and what a, what a bad place to be. But look at what it did to the church, right? It, it's, it divided it. And so we have to be careful not to allow any schism or any kind of problem within the church. We have to be a true family, open and honest, and communicate with each other effectively about everything. Right? We're supposed to be a family. You know you can do it with a family, right? You know you have a family gathering, and we're all sitting around a table, maybe, you know, and you're eating dinner, or, and, and then you go to a living room, and we sit down and start talking. And then we can talk about things with a family that we wouldn't talk to around other people, right? That's what we're supposed to be. That's why repentance shouldn't be a, a big deal. It's a big deal in the sense that, oh, one, one is, maybe one has fallen away and has come back, or um, one is, has found themselves in sin and are asking for our our help, right? And so we're there for them, but, it, but we shouldn't be afraid to communicate with each other about those deep things in our heart that's weighing us down, 
right? Because we're a family, aren't we? And until a church, until the Anchor Church of Christ or any congregation develops into a family, we're all just going to be divided, sadly. See, and that goes back to that word love. When we learn to love God with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength, and you can't help but to love his family, right? His children, his bride. So we have to work better as a congregation of people, of God's people, to really be vulnerable with each other, right? To be able to, thank you, to communicate with each other in a way that uh, is impressive. And, uh, and when I say impressive, I mean, I can really talk to these men, women, right? So women grow, grow, not clicks. I got a sermon coming eventually. I think I entitled it Clicks, Clowns, and Clones. <laughs> it probably won't be a fun one, but <laughs> I'll preach that one day. Um, I started working on it. I thought, that's a good one. Um, not clicks, right? Because those are divisive. Those are divisive, right? Because then you have little groups, and those little groups are against this group and against, don't, don't, don't be a part of that, right? Don't do that. Right? That's sinful. It's wrong. It's divisive. It's what happened in the church of Corinth. You know, Chloe's people were, were talking about these folks who are Apollos Christians and Pauline Christians. No, we don't do that. We're, we're all about Christ, right? So, so we don't have the, we lose our strength um, when we try to do this by ourselves. You see the problem? So 2 Peter 2 verse 20 starts talking about an individual who is struggling in their walk of faith. And, and you, Satan's going to get you. You can't beat Satan by yourself. You can't. You just can't. It's an impossibility. You need God, and you need, you need the people of God. God is a genius. God said, we need fellowship. We need communion to beat Satan. We need to be a big group of people that love each other, that are going to hold each other up and, and honor you know, God and honor each other and, and, and respect each other and, and help each other and be able to communicate with each other in an effective way that where Satan loses. Okay, I've got like three minutes left. Verse 20. For if after they have escaped the, the, the farmers of the world... Uh, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it will be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them that has happened to them. According to the true proverb, a dog returns to uh, its own vomit and a sow at the washing uh, returns to wallowing in the mire. And so what a, what a, anyway, all right. We, get, we don't have time. So look, the next state for all of us, no second opinions, death. Every one of us. Now, there's only two places. <laughs> Isn't it funny? Everything's always two. And <laughs> this or that. And, um, some are going to heaven, and then we're not allowed to say the word. Some are going to hell. That's hate speech. That is true. Some are going to hell. In fact, let me re rephrase that. God says most are going to hell, and a few are going to heaven. So I guess the big question is, am I, am I, in this state of faithfulness, am I striving to be a part of the few, right? And that's really important. We need each other to be a part, to really work this out. Okay, so, um, but before you get to heaven or hell, there are two places, right? There's paradise or Tartarus. So remember the thief on the cross, we don't have time. So Luke 23, what did Jesus say? Today you'll be with me where? In paradise, right? So there's that paradise place. The rich man Lazarus, um, the Lazarus was in the good place, Abraham's bosom paradise and where was the, the the rich man he was in a place called hell right but it was it was that place Tartarus it's a waiting place so now you know where you're going because you already are you know you kind of already know you're like the, the frog in a hot pot of water 
or you're not. I mean, you're, you're in a hellish state. But the judgment day is the final state. And that final state is when God delivers the kingdom over. The earth burns up with intense heat. Everyone's judged. You're kind of already judged. But the, worst, the rest who are alive are judged. And we go finally to our final eternal home. And it's either heaven or hell. And tonight we leave off with you get to choose because God made the way. So let's end there and we'll come back for a really short, uh, quick Devo. I'll have the Devo and then uh, announcements and prayers. So let's go ahead and dismiss because that was the second bell. Thank you for your, your time tonight. Oh, wait, I need my.